Welcome to Rigo's Business Review, where we bring you the latest in leadership, business, and tech. I'm your host, Carl Rigo. Join us each week as we share unexpected insights and underreported stories from the world of business to inform, uplift, and inspire, and make you think. Thank you for joining us. We have a real treat this week. I'm delighted to introduce our wonderful guest, Kath Roberts who is a, an author, a master coach, and facilitator for creative entrepreneurs, leaders, and their teams, utilizing color and a systemic approach to personal and business transformation. I've known Kath for years, and she's, she's been my executive and life coach for coming on seven or eight years now. So I'd also introduce Kath by just reading the testimonial I, I did for her on LinkedIn. So I said, it is an absolute pleasure to endorse Kath, who has been my executive and life coach for years. Her contributions have been transformational and life-changing, especially during major transitions and inflection points. Kath is deeply intuitive and insightful and helps you get out of your own way, get clear, stay clear, and stay on purpose. As a coach myself, I am very discerning in what I look for in an advisor, and Kath is truly one of a kind and has consistently exceeded all expectations. I can't say enough positive things about her. I'm going to run out of space. The more we become aware of our own fundamental truths, the more we can fully embody them and become all we were meant to be. Working with Kath uplifts, supports, and challenges us to break through and do just that. I highly recommend it. So Kath, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Is, and is there anything you'd like to add to that introduction? No, Carl, I think that was delightful. Thank you very much. Um, I'm just really um, glad to be here, actually. Great. So I've given that bit of background on you just to say, so what, how do you spend your time now? What are you up to currently? Well, so I'd say that 50% of my time is very much the doing aspect of the coaching. So working, you know, one-to-one with individuals um, on their specific goals and objectives. And then I'd say that 30% of my time is really in the creation. So working on new material actually and collaborating with others and running programs and then I always like to keep 20% of my time to myself it was something I learned really early on in my career of allowing white space in the diary and that's that time to be able to respond the time to be Um, and for me you know most my great source of, of inspiration is nature so actually having that time to spend in nature and also to read and to learn because I'm fascinated by learning. I'm curious and I like to stay open to what wants to come through. So that's really how I I tend to break down my time these days. Great. And so how did you come to do what it is you're doing now? And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. And then after that, I guess I'll tell the story of how you and I first met, which, which is an interesting story. Yeah. So uh, I guess if we go right back into my early career, well, I I spent principally um, over 20 years of my business life in two sectors. The first was retail with Marks and Spencer PLC. And then I moved into recruitment with Michael Page International. And you might say that both of those sectors were really principally involved with people and selling. So in my um, retail days, I was a commercial manager. I worked in stores. So I was a a generalist. And actually, 
I really enjoyed the variety of what that gave me and I suppose the skills that I picked up along the way. And I got involved at the time with some some fairly interesting projects. Um, I mean, of course, this is very much the focus these days. But back then, it was when stores were just beginning to wake up to the idea of regionalization and planning in that regard. And I also um, got involved with the setup of seasonal contracts for coastal stores. And then in my recruitment career, that really took off um, in 1995, where I joined Michael Page International. And I was really just, I started off as a sales consultant. I was recruiting accountants for Michael Page Finance, which was their, the main brand in the UK at that time. And if I had to say anything about I suppose those years in the corporate environment, I think the main focus for me was always an interest in change. So coaching has been a natural progression, in fact. And you might say that I suppose I had the credibility of those business years, having actually literally been in those operational roles and worked my way up to the main board, uh, UK board. Um, in my late 30s. And um, that gave me plenty of experience, if you like, to bring to the the coaching practice, which I set up in 2009 now. So a long time ago. Yes. So there were so there were several kind of key transitions there in that story, I suppose. I remember you and I had spoken in the past about and what what inspired you to to make the move from being within a a big corporate uh, FTSE 200 FTSE 250 company and then to to take that leap to I guess being an entrepreneur and then uh, full time coaching could you yeah. talk about that a little bit Yeah, um, I think having experience sitting on a main board and it was a plan that I'd had. Uh, from very early on, I was always very ambitious, wanting to climb the corporate ladder. And I realized that when I got there, what I'd actually really appreciated in my earlier career when I was regional for the for the company, I had a great deal of autonomy. And you might think, well, actually, you know, there's nothing more autonomous than being the MD of a business. But in fact, that wasn't the case. And I found the company quite restrictive in so much as I valued my sense of freedom. I was looking to build on my own creativity and ideas about what I wanted to implement. And um, that wasn't always welcomed, shall we say, in the environment that, that, that I was in at the time. And so I decided that I wanted to go off and do my own thing. And of course, now I've come to appreciate that it's not necessarily the environment that you're in because it's who you're being when you're in that environment. That said, our environments influence us and we influence our environments, do we not? You know, um, My focus these days is really helping people navigate their interior space to start to understand themselves better, uh, how they think and why they think the way they think. Um, and the feelings and emotions that are also impacting the way that people behave. 
and sort of helping people to bring those two aspects into alignment. And of course, the more we um, we build that inner capacity, that uh, sense of self and awareness, we can have greater control or start to become more conscious about how we affect our environments. Um, but that was something that I learned more significantly later in my coaching uh, work. Right. Okay. So maybe here, the, the next question I want to ask you is what is coaching about and things. But before we get there, I just want to share a quick story of how we met. So I suppose from what you've mentioned there, we met about five or six years into your uh, coaching practice, full-time coaching practice. So in 2014, I had transitioned from a, a corporate role and I, I just, I met you, I pulled up some emails and notes, Kath. I've, uh, we met in November of 2014. In October of 2014, I had just uh, undertaken some, uh, went through some training for kind of deeper interventions for coaching and, and, and basically therapist sort of interventions for potential clients because I had a feeling I wanted to, to get deeper into coaching myself. And then I attended a, uh, at a meditation center. There it was a series of events called the Spirit of Coaching event. It was on the weekend, I think. And I walked in and, and uh, I was I was running late and I walked in and there were some panelists on, on the stage and you were one of them. And I, I hadn't met you before and you were speaking. And the minute I walked in, I heard what you were talking about. I think you were talking about maybe some of your training or studying, working with different indigenous peoples, all, all kinds of training and coaching and, and therapy that you had um, kind of learned over the years and something about your voice just really captured my attention. So I remember I put my turn, my phone on, I started recording what you were saying. And then, uh, then that part of the session wrapped and on the break, I, I saw you in the, uh, in the, in the kitchen, everyone broke for tea and I just chatted with you. I said, Oh, I remembered thinking that you would coach a lot of women. And I said, Oh, well, do you also coach men? And we chatted briefly. So yeah, of course we spoke for a bit. And I said, well, I've been thinking about maybe going into coaching. I remember you looked at me and you said, we talked for a couple minutes. You just looked at me, I guess, based on your read. I mean, you said, you read on me and you said, um, you're going to be a coach, you know, it, and I know it. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of your sense of your, your initial take on me, which turned out to be true. So then after that, we ended up, uh, you know, within over the next couple of months, officially kicking off uh, a kind of coaching coachy relationship, which has lasted up until the, the present day with a session we had earlier this week about uh, me. Uh, I, I always say we can all one of the things that coaches help us with is kind of realizing when we're getting in our own way or if, if we're a bit blocked or something like that with our current thinking and way of being. And sometimes it's hard for us to be objective about ourselves. So we had a, a really great session there, which got me back to uh, being in flow again. So thank you for that. But just wanted to mention that's kind of how we met. And then since that time, I uh, officially launched my own company and, and have had lots of ups and some downs along the way. And, and Kath has really been, I, I think I mentioned in the pre-call, I said, Kath has been one of the secret weapons, one of the secrets of my success over over that time. So so coming back, just want to acknowledge you for that. And then just coming back. So on that note, from your perspective, Kath, I call you a master coach and you're not so big on titles and things, but I, I, to me that you are. And so from your perspective, what is coaching about? Okay. Well, so first and foremost, coaching is about uh, self-reflection and building self-awareness and understanding. Is it not true that the more we know about ourselves, the better able we are to understand our impact on others? And so coaching is, is fundamental these days to effective leadership. 
as we've moved away from a sort of training based way of looking at human behavior even though that there's a you know an important um reason for training in companies and such but coaching is really about training thyself it's about um starting to understand why you do what you do what drives that focus where your passions are and how you can be your best self every day so when we look at the coaching world as a whole i often get asked the question you know when, when i actually tell people what i do and i say i'm a coach people want to label me you know what what do you, what do you mean you're a coach are you a life coach are you a business coach are you an executive coach and of course that's how um we've come to understand or describe coaching haven't we 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 specialize in certain areas and i'd say that i'm really working in the area of transformational coaching but i'm actually crossing boundaries um because actually i'm both a therapist a mentor and a coach and there'll be times when i will need to step in and mentor somebody there will be times when a therapeutic approach is is required but again i don't tend to uh look at the world from a sort of these separate boxes i tend to look at my coaching process because it, it it's considering the whole per, her person effectively so i'm looking at it from a holistic way of being the body the mind and the spirit understanding that we're complex beings uh, as individuals we've got many relationships and each of those relationships impact our lives so for example you might have a relationship to money a relationship to your family to your friends to your work and of course the most important relationship is the one to yourself and all these systems as i call them they're they are they're interdependent and there are different facets and different dichotomies that that can throw us off track so coaching for me is helping leaders uncover the unseen elements in their world it's sort of helping them get unstuck unlock unlocking that innate power by discovering what exists truly uh, inside of them and and acting from that place of deep knowing because the world doesn't need more knowledge the world needs more wisdom and it's from this knowing space that we can act more wisely so it is that transformation from the inside out and it is about shifting your inner world so that your outer world will will reflect all of that and um and i think that's really important when you look at there are so many examples in the world today carl in business and in politics and in all sectors where there's misalignment because people are not walking their talk and we are meant to perform um that can be punishing and i think this whole last few years has made all of us uh, perhaps a little bit more aware you know the great realization around what's truly important to us um and how we respond to that and i think that's changing focus 
and that also is starting to impact business more and more where people are starting to understand how we unlock the spirit of business or you know how we can have uh, human flourishing again uh, a full engagement but not by this focus or this over focus on pro- profit and productivity right that's the proverbial you and i talk about sometimes about uh, you've said sometimes we need to slow down just to then speed to up speed right? up that's right so another way of looking at that is i, I talk a lot about time and space because invariably the people I work with would say, well, I just love to have more time. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you know, time is, 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 is about the doing element and space is about the being element. And of course, the minute we create space, we create space in our minds for self-reflection, we, we tend to become re-inspired. And it's actually the inspiration that that builds the novel thinking, that brings the innovation through, that allows us to up-level our thinking so that we can actually achieve more with less effort. So it's not, it's about the balanced way of being, moving between the being space and the doing space, the time and space, feminine and masculine principles, that actually enable sustainable performance because it's about balance in everything. And that's the one thing nature teaches us, balance. Right. So I'm feeling called to just share a little anecdote that backs that up. People may think that some of that sounds like an idealistic view of the world. Or there's a a gentleman I follow online, his name's Brandon Fluharty, and he, he... was an enterprise SaaS salesperson who he talks about, uh, you know, the hustling, the hustle model is, is outdated. It's not really working. So he, he talks, he talks in these terms. So I'll speak in these terms. He said he was, he's an ex professional football player as in soccer for, for those uh, in, in the U S for example. Uh, but, so he's, he's used to peak performance and high performance. So he was running the hustle model where take more meetings, do more calls, fly all over the, the country, you know, work around the clock and, run yourself ragged basically. And he said he was making about 200 grand a year running that playbook, but it was exhausting him. And then he said he made several different changes in terms of moving into a, an industry where there, it was rapidly growing and what he calls find your own kind of crack in the universe, some paradigm shift. So he found a big opportunity there, but he also shifted his focus uh, instead of just looking at activity-based metrics, he started uh, he started tracking his own um, performance and, and um, let's say health around three three thrive metrics the one is health in terms of sleep maybe exercise meditation day to day the second is deep work so how many of those let's say hour and a half two hour even 25 minute focused work slots did he have just as you said Kath, creating white space to be able to think you know be and do rather than just doing and then the third third element was mood how did he feel based on the what he had achieved and the progress he'd made during the day and the interactions he had had based on how he had done in the other two areas. So he, he created, came up with a score in those three areas. And during the time he was doing that, he, he cracked a million dollars a year uh, in terms of sales for himself. And he built an $11 million sales organization within a company within something like 18 months. So he's a big proponent of saying, look, hustling is just not necessarily the way to go. He had a 5x increase in his financial rewards when he was putting his health first and staying aligned. So just as a real concrete world example, 
of that. I think it's a really powerful one. And, and me as a former and still involved in sales in a way as a CEO, I think it's great for salespeople to have another uh, countervailing view on hustle culture. Yeah, it, it's it's actually starting to really recognize this principle. And, you know, it's common sense when you actually give some time and focus to it that, that of course, when we are happy, when we're passionate, when we have had rest and recuperation, that we come at something from a much better perspective. Um, and we, because we have more energy. Um, and yet, many people are not stopping to reflect enough on these this important aspect of life. Yeah, so I want to segue uh, about to the next section of the interview talking about what makes a great coach and then after that we'll get into some of the benefits of coaching. But uh, for mm. starters, based on how you describe and outline coaching there, from in your view, what, what makes a great coach or an effective coach? So for me, you know, coaching's an art, it's not a science. So I'll start with that. And yeah, there's, there's, there's a number of things I would say about it. Firstly, deep listening. You can never underestimate the importance of listening. You know, listening itself, I mean, you think of, you think of actually the, the word itself. It's got the same letters as the world's word silent. So for me, it's about being willing to be uncomfortable with the silence, to be able to sit with it. Because I'm listening for what's unexpressed. Yes. As well as listening for the words that are being used, for the story that's unfolding, for the metaphors that describe people's situation in business or for themselves. That in itself reveals so much. And of course, the manner in which that's conveyed, you know, the body language. For me also, it's about being pr fully present. So hearing, hearing, hearing the breathing of another person, actually, because that in itself is sensory acuity, knowing when someone's holding back. Knowing for myself when to jump in, when not to jump in. So then I'd say creating a, a level of curiosity that wants to take someone to explore some, uh, you know, a concept deeper. I think a great coach builds rapport and safety, it creates safe space. And I think, you know, how we go about that, it's often being willing to uh, go first, isn't it, with vulnerability. That way, I think you can really get to the heart of what you really need to, to uncover and explore and listening deeply to whom that person is on the inside. And for me, yes, it is about um, I slow down. And that gives the client permission to slow down because it's really in that silent space, the insights actually occur and you get that shift in perception. And when that shift in perception happens, that changes everything, how someone views something and then what they then do as a result. 
also I'm quite playful. I'm quite provocative. Um, and I'm very willing to ask the silly questions, um, the obvious questions too, because often those are, are, they get missed. It's then about examining, for me, a great coach is really going to that unconscious space. It's that, the dreams, the fears, the hopes, that really is where an individual or a business will sabotage and it will hijack them. So it's about being able to explore that unconscious space. And then it's about helping them identify their gifts, their uniqueness, and how they then bring those aspects out in the work that they do and in their life generally as a whole because you want people playing from that space more predominantly because that's what makes them come alive. Equally, it's also about seeing the dark side of those gifts. So where that will derail them and drawing out those distinctions for them. So it's like where you've used it as the example, you know, a lot of people drive for success. I certainly did in my earlier career. As I said to you, I was very ambitious. And then I realized that actually getting to a certain point um, on that lofty uh, journey is that success doesn't actually solve your problems. It actually creates higher level problems. And so for me, it was really beginning to understand through my coaching practice it's actually about authentic success. And that's a totally different um, concept. It's wanting what you have. It's wanting the life and the work that you have. And being um, in the moment, enjoying that in every sense of the word, every day. Not waiting to retire in order to be happy. So those are the sort of things I would say are important aspects of being a great coach. Wonderful. Carry on if you were going to add something else. I was just going to say if you, you then then about sort of taking people from that sort of excellence to genius zone, <laughs> it's really about thinking big. Um, it's it's then about, you know, big dreams impossible goals, big, big thinking, um, but tiny steps. So, you know, it's, we break it down. Yeah. It's allowing ourselves to slow down, to speed up, as we've said, to have fun, um, to basically enjoy every moment of what's unfolding. So it's not focused just purely on the destination. And remembering, helping us remember how powerful we are as we demonstrate um, belief in ourselves. So the coach is always holding that space of seeing the client in their highest possible self and what they're capable of, holding that intention for them. I think it's often... Uh, the case that when you start to coach, clients will come to you with a whole range of problems that they want 
answers to. And for me, it's it's never about jumping in and solving the problems. Because many of them they 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 know they know the pro they know the answer to the problems. It's just helping them get quiet enough to listen to the right answer, you know, on the inside, helping them navigate the territory on the inside so that actually when they do what they do, there's fulfillment in what they do as opposed to them going through the motions. Mm. Well, th there's a lot there. You covered a lot of ground there. That Basically, that could be the rest of the interview, everything you just covered there, if we go a bit deeper in there. Just, just to clarify, to say the the Brandon Fluharty story, he had a trigger, triggering event which tipped him into this. He had a mini stroke, I think, in his in his 30s at a certain point in time, and he was running the, the Hustle Playbook, which kind of forced him. It was one of those undetectable ones, or something, it happened, but then uh, they couldn't figure out why. So he was forced to really um, reassess how he was living his life, and that's what helped him to, to make the shift in perception and then in reality. Yeah. So uh, we want to come back to that for sure. So then I'm going to put my business hat on for a moment, Kath, and just say, and, and quick, because I know this, I've lived it firsthand in terms of the sorts of interventions and what you were describing there felt pretty personal to me <laughs> because that's the, basically what we've been working together on for, for a number of years now in terms of it's cyclical, right? It's like I always talk about the spiral staircase. We go yeah. up and we come to come to a place, come to the similar place again, but from a slightly different angle, and we know it kind of for the first time. So what are some of the, from your perspective, some of those benefits of coaching in terms of, I mean, I've seen it firsthand with me, for me as, as a client of yours, and then when I work with my clients, that's similar, that shift of perception. That's where the magic happens. If if people get a, get a are kind of inspired by a new view of themselves, then if the, when your view of yourself changes, the world around you changes and your conception of what your role in it is and could be. And that's what opens up huge vistas of possibility. Business people would say that's where you go for blue ocean, uncontested market space, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but from your perspective, what are some of the sorts of benefits in the business people would say that that's the what and the so what about that is uh, what we've seen, the, the power of that transformation and the benefit for people? Yeah. Well, as you said, I mean, when you when you have that perception shift, when the light bulb moment happens and you look at something from a different perspective, you start to get into a flow with your life. And of course, as you say, that starts to impact all of your relationship dynamics. So your relationships at home are better because your relationship with yourself is better. Your relationship with your colleagues is better and your staff. So you start to be more inspired and therefore have the capacity to inspire and uplift others more significantly. And being in flow, you know, where you say talk about the magic, the magic happens because you're starting to operate more from this sense of alignment. So, you know, in a universe of energy, Carl, thoughts are electrical and feelings are magnetic. So we actually, there's no such thing as coincidences. There's a science behind this. Um, and magic is often the science we don't yet understand. But as energetic beings of light and color and frequency, what we're actually doing is attracting the very things that we feel excited about. And the more that we feel excited um, and inspired, 
the more we're in, you know, living life in full color. Or as I say, it's like being on a travelator. Um, it just, everything starts to accelerate as you get into that flow and that rhythm because nothing in life is separate and everything is interconnected. So if individuals are drained of energy, if they're tired, if they're uninspired in what they're doing, then that too will have detrimental impact. And I think everybody understands that in the context of the world we live in and the mental health epidemic. But I don't think people have perhaps truly appreciated the power of possibility when we start to move energy in the right way. Another way of looking at this is, of course, there's a, that wonderful model, what I call the four levels of consciousness, where let's say at that first level, we have a situation where stuff is happening to us. And this is really the law of nature, the law of cause and effect. And we might wake up and say, you know, I've had it. I've had it with my work situation or my life situation. Something needs to change. And so we don't want to be the victim of our circumstances anymore of our reality. We want to change our reality. And so we decide to take control. We say, no, this is not going to happen anymore. I can't blame my parents or blame the government or blame the company. I actually have to do something about this. So I'm not going to be the victim. I'm going to be the victor. So if it's going to be, then it's up to me. So that's a sort of second level of reality or consciousness. I take back control. And, you know, that can work really effectively for a number of years. Like I could say I've coached millionaires who've been very successful at building businesses, building multiple businesses, and um, a lot of money in the process and selling companies and the like. But actually, then they start to realize that c the control is killing them, as your example. It's actually detrimental to their health. It's impacting their quality of their relationships. They start to not like themselves very much. They burn out. So the control has to shift to level three. And level three is life is happening through me, which is the point you're talking about. You know, the magic starts to show up. We get into a flow and a rhythm with our life, because we start to understand, as I say, that everything is connected. So as I think, so I become. And my if, if I'm energized, I've got greater capacity to lift and light other people up, rather than drain them, because I'm miserable. And so in that level, again, fabulous things happen. But finally, it's coming to understand that we've got to surrender to get to level four, which is life is happening as me, as me, because there's no separation actually from who I am, who I be and what I do. Then you realize that you are the flow. I don't know if that takes us off tangent somewhat, but... Well 
Mm, I love that model. It's one that I that I share and use a lot um, in conversation with people, and I think I think it's very powerful. Mm. So I just wanted to to chime in for a moment. You were talking there earlier, and just to say for for any let's say skeptics out there or kind of archetypal left brain. I trained as an engineer, full disclosure initially, so I can I can be I can go left brain and deep and skeptical with the best. I'm just to say. If, if for those of you who are skeptical that a lot of what we receive back is what we put out there, just try to try to be around a smiling, giggling baby and not smile or yeah. try to see a bubbly puppy, you know, walking down the street and, and not and not smile. And that and I think sometimes in my better moments, I think, gosh, I'd love to have that effect on everyone I meet. Right. Because yeah. and, and, and that and it and it's it. it even if you're having a, I was having a, a stressful day the other day and I was walking and a gentleman had a backpack with a little, a little baby puppy bulldog in there. And I didn't expect seeing this puppy up at, at, you know, shoulder height. He was so adorable. Just kind of broke me out of my mental uh, pattern. I was running there. So I just wanted to kind of mention that. And, and, and in our own lives, I would say some of the power of coaching is to make us aware of where we are on, on those four levels of consciousness or awareness are we operating in that to me mode or are we in achiever mode, but pushing so much that then we need to relax and, you know, relax into the flow and, and become more receptive. Uh, and, and then going on up to the, uh, the, um, as me or, or kind of unity level there where you're, you're like Neo in the matrix when you have that, when he has that revelation that it's all connected. And as you say, there's no separation, which in my experience, those are some peak peak experiences. Uh, and then our, our job day to day, I think, is to become as a, to, to be as aware as we can be and as awake as we can be to um, slip into the into the right flow that's appropriate for where we are in the moment and who we need to be. Uh, honoring, honoring our feelings and things like that. Right. If something happens to us that if we get fired from work or something like that, that can be quite stressful so that can put us in to me mode why this happened to me and that's normal as a human being or if you get divorced or as a death in the family you feel you can feel very down and, and devastated uh, and then there's something about owning that and as as we would say um people need to embrace transmute and then they can transcend but we first need to acknowledge the fact that we're in some pain so it's okay i would say quote unquote as a human being to be in that to me victim stage for you know but not not so long that it prevents you from living your life and just be mindful of where you're at on that progression i would say turn it back to you for any other commentary on that just my view of the world on it i i think i would just add that of course none of us are going to go through life without experiencing you know the ebb and the flow the up and the down nature because how do we know happiness if we haven't experienced sadness how do we know true success if we haven't experienced fear? So these are just states and it's learning to move through these states and not becoming too attached to them, recognizing that they're temporary and they will pass and recognizing that it's part of a process of, of learning about our sense of self. And if we've not experienced any difficulty, we we typically don't tend to learn when life is going well. We only tend to learn when life is more challenging. We learn much more about ourselves and we grow through those episodes in life. I mean, you know, I come to talk about and express this a lot these days that life doesn't need to be a struggle. Life is about joy. But of course, it is the journey of, of evolving and understanding that. That's the transformation that you go through. Uh, to be able to understand and to give 
um, you know, no judgment um, and compassion to other people who are going through whatever they're going through. That's what makes us a more compassionate society as a whole. That's more intent on doing stuff beyond profit, you know, serving basically others, because that's actually what lifts us up in the end. It's what brings the a more purposeful way of looking at the world. And there's more energy there, in fact, because I've yet to meet anybody who tells me that when they are making a difference and their souls lit up from that space that, um, you know, they're not enjoying themselves and they're not getting something back. Mm, right. So I do, I, I suppose where we can go next is you mentioned the word transformation. Maybe we can talk a bit more about that. And I do want to come back at a certain point. I want to talk about coaching and the fact that no athlete has, has ever won an Olympic gold medal without a coach and how prag pragmatically and practically speaking, if we're trying to achieve something, um, which I know is a bit on the, um, by me achiever mindset but it has its place coaching can help give us kind of that that winning edge and that empowerment that we need to go on and be our best selves and if sometimes if we are only one percent better than we were previously that can 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 make all the difference maybe i should just just mention something there so mm. in a i'm gonna i'm gonna take us down another another rung here in the awareness we're gonna come back to talk about transformation but i want to make it kind of concrete for some of the let's say more business-minded uh, folks here so that's an obama term folks so <laughs> so yeah. anyhow the the just a simple story about when when you go for a job interview if say there's only one job available maybe there are 10 applicants uh, 10 people will be interviewed let's say the the applicant they just the candidate that the company and Catherine used to do recruitment but so the, the, the i did some as well with an in-house and companies but the candidate that the company chooses to hire may only be 1%, 5% better than the next closest candidate. However, that candidate gets basically 100% of the gains because they got the job. It's a zero or one, they get the whole job. The other nine people, it's similar to uh, in a horse race, a photo finish. If there's a photo finish where one horse edges out the other one by a nose, you say, how much better, you know, how much better is the horse that won than the one that came in second? Well, is it twice as bad? Twice as good? Probably not. Yet that, that winning horse gets, to say, 30, 40, 50% as much of the prize winnings as the horse that was just behind by a nose. So the point I'm making is for us, if we can improve a noble pursuit is to be, be better and more authentic today than we were yesterday, then it can, it can give us outsized gains in life. And I think that's just in my experience, that's true. It's definitely true in, jo in job interviews, horse races and uh, sales deals as well. So I think Brandon Flutehardy moved from the 200 grand to a million mark because he was authentic and centered and was doing doing the right things rather than just doing things right. And he was, he was focused on who he needed to be. He needed enough sleep, the main thing for him to, to be an in-state. And he, he posts his W2, so he's not, he's not one of these blaggers. He actually has done what he's talking about. And so I just I, I like that as a model. Just, but just want to mention in terms of some of the benefits from coaching from a, uh, let's say, from a business perspective for those who are in competitive fields out there. You know, Andre Agassi, when he, when he was um, you know, winning tennis championships and things, he – he then had a moment where he was kind of going down in flames and he reached out to a, a non-sports-based coach to help get his mindset right because somewhere along the line he had lost a step in his awareness or focus or something. And it wasn't that he needed to just learn a better to improve his backhand again. 
there was something else going on there. So uh, we're all we're all integrated beings. So if there's something going on internally, it will manifest externally. But just want to make some comments on that because to me, that's part of the so what for for business people who are maybe trying to grow their business, find, win, and keep customers, keep them happy, and you know, be our best selves and keep food on the table, keep the lights on and all that. Not to say that anything else we talked about is not about that, but I want to give a concrete example there. And I want to come back to this, but come up a level. I want to come back to this idea of transformation you talked about because it's something that you've been a partner in my own journey for me, uh, having my own revelations and continued transformation really in the last seven or eight years. Just wonder if you would comment around that dynamic or that phenomenon of transformation. Well, transformation for me starts on the inside and works its way out and if you actually unpick that sentence that is a process of stopping isn't it it's a process of reflecting it's a process of beginning to get some awareness of who is this person on the inside that's observing thyself and thy behaviors and that part of thyself is the part that has the most potential to change and to create change for others. Because change, if we look at change in the context of business, 70% of all change projects actually fail still. And why do they fundamentally fail? I think, Carl, you've been involved in many change projects in your career to date um, is because there's an overfocus on on the process rather than the people and what's going on in their interior spaces and how are they responding to that. So I think in a business environment, in the context of business, you know, there's been this, we've focused to death on knowledge and specialisms and that's driven fragmentation and a lack of awareness of whole systems dynamics and that drives at that change level symptom solution rather than looking at root cause understanding and how to course correct. So I think from a leadership perspective, when we think about transformation, we need to start to look as 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 well as process driving process thinking we've got to go to social and relationship intelligence um, and the systemic view of transformation because cultures as I've come to appreciate are pervasive at reinforcing the accepted unconscious behaviors you know as individuals we all seek belonging. We want to fit in. And so we can we can tend to act in on that group think and behave according to what seemed to be important and reinforced. So that creates unconscious tensions in a in a whole system. And obviously that also brings up internal conflicts with individuals and the group system as a whole. Because if you think about it, if we as individuals, we as individual leaders each have, if you like, our own moral compass, let's call it, our group, our, our individual conscience, that um, we would like to think that we're acting on each time. But of course, there is unconscious behavior that pulls us in different directions. That 
that brings individual internal conflict. And this is what coaching unpacks. It enables us to start to understand where we've got that tension going on on the inside. So if you think about that in the context of a business or a a leadership team, emotions can spill out unconsciously, bringing, you know, um, conflict to the group conscience. And there's misalignment, right, to the vision and the values. It happens all the time. I also think there's this preoccupation with what you know, and that, of course, can crucify leaders and their teams. In a world that's now fast-paced and global and digital and is getting into artificial intelligence, so we have to think, you know, intuitively, whole brain way of looking at the world to stay ahead, really, to, to stay ahead, to keep ahead and to bring the future into the now. So I think also transformation is recognising, as we've talked earlier, that we feel as well as we think and our emotions actually impact our performance and our emotions, you know, tangle with other people and that affects theirs and our own performance in the environment. So when we're not when we don't have the right energy, it drains creativity, it drains optimism, enthusiasm and possibility thinking. And and transformation is about looking at all of this in the context of the system. And our performance and the feelings that we hold will create tensions in other systems that we're also part of. You know, when we go home back to the family unit, for example, that's one area. So emotional and spiritual intelligence with regard to transformation, I don't think has, has, has been at the forefront of leaders enough today. And I think that uh, leaders are ill-equipped really to manage, as I say, this post-pandemic great realisation, which is bringing up issues in the world with regard to how do we recruit and retain and build talent to... Um, facilitate the next generation of of the workforce so we're always affecting our environments and individual well-being does 100% impact business well-being because of the interdependent nature so this is why I go back to the point we have to go back to that knowing space uh, to act um, and yet The majority of us are too busy or too distracted to understand this importance of time and space and to know how to listen to our own body's intuitive wisdom because that's really where all the answers reside. But, of course, that is about taking the time out, slowing down, listening, becoming more conscious of all of that. And I think, you know, transformation is really starting when we look at in the context of what do people want from their lives and from their work is seeing nothing is separate. So I think more and more in the West as we become more educated and more aware, um, we're looking for the desire to do stuff that matters. We want to be... um, We want to be rich, but not time poor. You know, we don't want to be a fraud. 
Um, and we want to show up authentically. We want to go beyond profit. We want to think more about community, moving away from just competition, looking at cooperation, looking at fulfillment in the context of work-life integration. I'm not saying these are these are all areas that occupy everybody, but yet a lot of people who are driven to want to be the best they can be, to want to start to look at, you know, what is that sense of purpose that they receive from their life and their work, invariably get into grappling with these concepts. And that is transformation. It's transformation from the inside out. So I just want to chime in there with a couple couple thoughts and f- follow up, um, let's say, items there. So I've, I suppose I, I want to share, mm, well, let me talk about what transformation is. So I just pulled up, you know, the, the Cambridge Dictionary says to transform is to change completely the appearance or character of someone or something, and especially so that that thing or person is improved. So that's that's one take on it. And I think I want to I want to add to this because transformation is a word that's thrown around a lot in business circles. And, and in, in my mind that you mentioned, Kath, I have done a lot of change and transformation projects. So change kind of Carl's rule, view of the world is change is evolutionary and transformation is often revolutionary. There are many, many companies talk about doing transformation and really they're doing different levels of change which is fine but but qualitatively there are some differences so in terms of uh you know you can you can change if metaphorically if you were to take take a butterfly and help it change its colors that's that's fine it's still a butterfly just different type of butterfly but but when you go when the when the caterpillar goes from one form to a completely different form that to me is is real transformation and the the thing about it is there's this famous poem or quote so just when the caterpillar thought it was over or the end was near yeah. it suddenly transformed into a butterfly right and and it, i would say it's on this uh on this note that life is both in, in my experience and working with you has helped to highlight some of these things life is both journey and pilgrimage it, it's a journey in the sense that a journey is typically we know we want to get from a to b we leave out we leave to go f- from our house in the morning to go to work we know the route we're going to take that's a journey and along the way we have may have some adventures and everything but that's fine but there's a predetermined destination a pilgrimage let's say in a non-religious sense is is you you embark uh, on a path not really knowing who you're going to be at the end of it or where you're going to end up because you know you're in a process of unfolding you're just following and staying true Staying close to what is true to you, or as Mark Nepo would say, uh, Mark Nepo would say, staying true to what's sacred in you, what feels right and most true to you, and that may take you way off course. And you know, you may not, you may go out thinking you're going, you're going to end up from point A to B, but actually, you end up somewhere completely different. And in that process, you are transformed in a way that you may not have been able to foresee. And that, to me, and, and along the way, that can be scary. So Michael Beckwith always says that the ego. Part of the reason why it's scary is that the ego cannot tell the difference between transformation and annihilation because of the caterpillar. Once yeah. it became a butterfly, it can't go back to being a caterpillar. The caterpillar is gone, but it has evolved to a higher form. So do we. But it's, I would put my hand up and say it can be really darn scary along the way sometimes when you can't foresee, you can't see what's happening beyond. It's like a being a, driving a car at, at night. You can only, the, the headlamps only let you see so far ahead and you go as far as you can see them and you get there, you're able to see farther. And I think that is really. From my perspective, if I were to put my kind of emotion feeling into into this experience, 
that's where the juice is. That's the aha moment where you're you're never the same, and you your mind once stretched never goes back, never regains its original uh, proportions. You you can't be a caterpillar anymore. And then how do you stay true to your butterfly, the butterfly version of you, when you still have some caterpillar tendencies, maybe? You know, and you see, and then what's next yes. beyond that? That that's where the magic is, and that's where what I would say is. I've been following that path, which hasn't been easy. I, I've, and Kath, we've talked over the years about, you know, it seems almost for me just like just just as I master something, I then want to integrate it and move on to something else. We say, well, you're running a business. You've just mastered how to sell this particular sort of service. Why then would you park it and do something else? Surely you can deliver it now and, and scale it. But me and my heart, I say, yes, but I'm no longer engaged with that anymore. I've learned what I needed to learn. I'll carry it with me, but I'm not going to major in that. I may minor in it. Economically, it's probably not the best thing, but from in terms of staying on your learning and, and leading edge, it's the best thing. But it can be scary. So I'll pause there. To me, that's what constant transformation has felt like to me over the last seven, eight years in my whole life, really. And Kath has kind of been my partner in, in those sense when, when you're having the dark night of the soul that everyone talks about, when you're in between visions of this is not I'm, – I'm not who I used to be, nor am I fully – to have a clear vision of, of who and what, where I'm headed and what I'm meant to be, but I'm not, I'm not who I was and I'm on my way to become, being and becoming who I'm meant to be. That can feel scary for people. So for me, just just having having someone who's I always say one of the benefits of coaching is it's hard to see the full picture when you're in the frame. No matter how brilliant you are, we all think we're so intelligent. Some of us, it's, you know, we are great, but we have a limited perspective. So having that objectivity, whether it's in a one-to-one coaching session or in a boardroom when you're bringing an outside advisor to maybe tell you some things that you don't want to hear but that you need to hear, very powerful. So I just want to put a plug in there for this this experience of transformation because Kath, you are doing what you do, which is you're, you're speaking in a very measured way, and I'm and as you're talking, it's just bringing up things in me that I've lived fairly recently, and I just wanted to share that with the audience and say I'm sure there's some other individuals out there who are grappling with some of the same challenges that we're talking about, and and it doesn't always come out as fluently and and measured as as Kath is describing it because one of the things I love about no Kath change is, that is messy. It, the way you show up, but the way that Kath shows up, the Kath shows up, she's always uh, in state and, and on form and can hold the space for me. If I'm having, you know, if I've thrown my toys out the pram or if I'm having a bit of a to me moment, I got stuck in traffic, rained on or whatever, uh, I can count on Kath to hold that space for me to help me. And it's almost like a tuning fork that gets you back in alignment with who you really want to be through through you modeling that. So you're modeling that calmness and that serenity on this 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 interview and this call, which is great. Um, I'm speaking from my my authentic voice, which is there's a lot of passionate experiences that underpin this. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I love the story of the you know the caterpillar becomes the butterfly. Uh, and as you say, recognizing that we're always in a process of becoming, and tomorrow we won't be the same person we were today in fact and our cells are always renewing and upgrading and we are not just you know our role or our title we are way more than that and as we start to step into this expanded view of ourself and take on that frame, life becomes, you know, full of wonder and joy and magic again as we start to um, expand ourself. Um, as, and, but it's also about being brave enough to let go of needing certainty on the path. And the certainty, of course, is about control, really. So we're, we're back to that, you know, we're, we're really in level two again as we expand 
of course, we want to feel safe. But if we apply level two consciousness, then we won't get to that next leap. And the next leap is really starting to trust that we live in a benevolent universe, that everything is there and available for us. And that as long as we trust in ourselves and our intuitive intelligence, then we will grow and continue to master, if you like, the next leg of the journey. Right. And just to pick up on that, if I may, the uh, in my, just to, to add to that, in my experience and, and um to working with Kath and some of the other insights that I've gleaned, going from that kind of to me achiever mode uh, to to the next stage up where things come through you is part of it is about giving up that need for control. And then this happens in the business world where, you know, the way that I was trying, I I work, I grew up at Johnson and Johnson, which is quite an admired business out there. They don't always get everything right, but they, they have quite a track record to stand on. And there, one of the leadership tenets you learn there is that basically leadership, the decision-making should be devolved to the lowest level in the organization as possible so that if someone is a customer service rep, if they get a call from a customer who's upset about something, that customer service rep is empowered to sort the issue as far as they can go basically within their, within the bounds. And, and people, people understand it's not a case where you need to put the customer on hold and go through five levels of approval to give them a 50, $50 refund for something or 50 pound refund, if you see what I mean. So in businesses, letting go of that quote unquote need to control can oftentimes lead to better results. And there's the famous example of the, the admiral who was running a multi-billion dollar piece of equipment, nuclear submarine. And in the beginning when he t- it was underperforming, when he took over, uh, the, all the sailors on the ship would come to him and ask him, for approval for every little decision. He thought, gosh, I, I don't have time to, I've got a hundred sailors and there's one captain or one admiral. I, I don't have time to answer all these little questions. We need to be much more agile to, to make decisions and, and go where we need to go. And frankly, I'm not an expert. I'm not in all parts of the ship at once. I need to, to get the intelligence from these other individuals. So he empowered them and said, look, basically go assess the situation. If you're in the boiler room or you're in navigation in the cockpit or something, if you need my input, come to me, tell me a summary of kind of what you see and why and what your recommendation is. And then I can make a quick, take a quick view on it if you need me. But in lieu of that, you're empowered to make lots of decisions. So that's, that's what letting go that need for control can look like in a business context or in an organizational context, which is really powerful. One other comment I wanted to make, and Kath, maybe I, I want to talk a bit about some models here. So you and I chatted before. I also want to, you can come in in one, one moment. I also want to talk about the segments in, in uh, coaching from a individual, personal one-to-one coaching, executive and business coaching. But I've got a model I want to share, but I'll turn it over to you. I sense you want to add something. Well, I just wanted to go back to this idea of, so again, just back to the context of change, just um, talking around systems, all systems course correct over time. In other words, chaos, you know, order always follows chaos. So everything will settle down and course correct, you know, when we leave things. Uh, Of course, in a business sense, you know, I get the point of we have to act before the you know the company dies, so to speak. But um, in the sense of the individual, with time and with balance, everything settles. Um, so great. Okay, so I want to I want to share one simple model that I use with some of my clients 
in terms of performance coaching back to kind of business context and all these kind of levels the, tra the transformational coaching I, I i just spoke passionately about personal transformation organizations transform their composed of a group of individuals and sometimes factors can inhibit progress along the way or performance so there's a very simple model in in business coaching where we talk about uh, potential minus interference equals performance so we may have some really great uh, grant potential, I believe all of us do. However, there's some forms of interference that, that can prevent us from, from performing at our best. So they can be in, that interference can be internal, emotions, mindset, you know, heart set, and then there can be external uh, factors in the economy and, and otherwise. And just even just thinking through and facilitating through working through some of those, breaking out some of those internal and external forms of interference, looking at that in a business context can often, it often relieves a lot of tension in the room if people are speaking honestly about it. And then you can almost do some management action planning around that, taking some concrete steps to alleviate some of these challenges, which many, let's say, upper management may not have even been aware of what some of the interference was down the chain. So things like that, just in, in a practical sense. And then I want to talk, Kath, also, uh, you mentioned about the different sorts of practices and uh, hats that you wear, you talked about coach and mentor and therapist and things like that. From my perspective, I've seen there's a spectrum from where I sit in terms of individual one-on-one -on -one coaching with an individual, whether it's in a personal context or a business context, then there's uh, helping them get the results and achieve it to be who they want to be in their lives and, and achieve what they want to achieve. Then there's executive coaching and then there's business coaching. So there's a kind of continuum there. And from my perspective, I wear a slightly different set of hats than you, Kath. I don't go as deep on the therapy side as you because I've trained. I haven't gone in, in mm. as much depth there. I have some background there, but I know that the edge of my my expertise there. But the, the, the spectrum that I use with particularly business-related clients, individuals who I'm coaching there, is there's a continuum of, um, let's say, consultant to mentor to coach. And, and as a, let me flip it around and say you can go from a coach, mentor, consultant. So with a coach, let's say non-directive coaching, that's where it's a spectrum from left to right if you picture. So the non-directive coaching is where the, the coach facilitates, but the client provides 100% of the actual content in the conversation. Non-directive coaching. Yeah. Then mentoring, just cause view of the world, is what I picked up this model is. Mentoring is where there's a 50-50 share in terms of who's providing some of the content and the examples. The mentor is providing some know-how and, and is modeling things for the mentee to, to see. And then there's the consultant angle when you get to the other end of the spectrum where the consultant is coming in as an extra set of hands and is the doer, and they're providing all the content and quote-unquote the solutions and the answers to the client. So that's a continuum that we, I would say, me as a business coach, I, I operate on, and I'm mindful of which hat I'm wearing at each point in time. Sometimes a client will, as you said before, uh, Kath, sometimes a client will come to me and say, we're having a problem with making sales or revenues. Okay, great. Talk about that sometimes, but sometimes the block or the, the interference, there may be the mindset of something personal. Sometimes it's a coaching intervention that will help unlock that, and other times it can be uh, a consulting intervention where you say, oh, we need to align your incentives. You're, you're incentivizing new business development, new sales at the expense of, you're, you're incentivizing hunting for new clients at the expense of farming and going deeper with existing clients, for example. But just me as, as a business coach and advisor, I'm just mindful of which hat I'm wearing because if the moment calls for coaching and for you to hold that space for the client to come up with their own solution and plan that they can own and move on with, if you collapse that space by quote unquote giving them the answer, you've actually done them a disservice. Now, and I'll pause, but, but and at the same point in time, there are times when I, me as 
someone who believes in, in being world class and modeling success and you can learn from people who've been the best in the world. Sometimes people can't, you can't facilitate people in a business context into world class best practice if they've never seen it. So there is a time if you're in the coaching realm, advisor realm to realize there are times where the client may end up with a suboptimal solution unless you take that coach hat off, put the advisor mentor hat on and say, and here's, here's how I've seen that done well elsewhere. Because I see sometimes coaches or consultants end up stuck in one or another lane when really it's what you said before, Kat. Holistically, what is the big picture view on what is required for that for that moment in the moment? Exactly. And that's, you know, coaching some, you know, senior leaders uh, and entrepreneurs, the value of being able to then mentor in some capacities is very, very useful. But like you say, Carl, I'd always encourage uh, facilitating coaching, enabling the individuals to find their own answers more often than not. Sure. Okay. And then I suppose if I just made a comment about kind of executive coaching there. So and here's where just me, if I get, if we're going to go a little deeper into the coaching industry itself. So there's individual performance coaching where you're like life coaching and things like that, helping people with the grow model. What's their goal? What's their current reality? What are their options and what's their will? How strong is their will to achieve that and take those actions? That's great. And that can take you so far. Then there's, if you do executive coaching, I like the teaching of Mary Beth O'Neill in this context where she says the role of the executive coach in the boardroom is often, and welcome with you on this guy, is sometimes and oftentimes to support and challenge the client and essentially, uh, you know, hold that space for them and then kind of confront things, kind of take the bull by the horns and then hand it back to the client in that sense for, the, for almost holding up a mirror to the execs. And just one other point I'd say there is a nice, when I'm, when I'm working with executives, I, I like to, you can assess executives in three different dimensions. As executives, we all do three things, right? We communicate the territory, build relationships and deliver results working through other people. So any executive does those three things. Now you may prioritize them differently. If you're new to the company, you may prioritize building the relationships before you then communicate the vision and all of that. But it's really, it's a nice, simple three-part framework. Again, from, it's from Mary Beth O'Neill, but I use it a lot with my clients. Just to, I'm big on the rule of three and simplifying the complex. So yeah. that works really well for me. And then the, the business coaching side, I would say more in a small business coaching perspective uh, is where sometimes even the coaching academies and things out there, the various schools will talk about there is a time there where you need these MBA style two by two grids where the business is stuck and you got to figure it out. Uh, and that's where you then put that other hat on of you're a bit of an advisor, you're helping them with their time and the team and the money. And those are the tend to be some of the major challenges in that, in that business. We're helping more with the strategy and, and then the line can blur between you as wearing the coaching hat and the advisor who's given some content strategy frameworks. So that's kind of what I see, uh, what I've seen in the market in those spaces and like my way of being when I'm interacting with clients uh, in each situation and, and whatever's called for in the moment. Just wanted to share that because I think those are some powerful distinctions that I've made and they're helpful for my clients as well. Right. How you we've mentioned how it, that it is important for coaches to hold the space with their clients for the clients to uh, it, it kind of it's, it's an enabling sort of space. How, how do you stay clear and centered to then be able to hold, spa hold space for others? You mentioned you like time in nature and other things like that. But what sort of practices do you you employ? Well, very much it's about practicing what I preach. So I'd already talked earlier about having white space in the diary. 
Um, and that is about giving myself the space to give to myself. Because when I know that I'm <clears throat> rested and well balanced, then I can hold that space for other people. So, as I say, I am curious. So, I'm always learning, I'm always uh, reading and um, just working on new material, what inspires me, what uplifts me. And it's really from that that I can then give to others. Because as I say, you can't inspire anybody unless you're inspired yourself. So I think that, you know, it's about balancing everything that we do. So giving to a time for exercise, time for sleep, time to socialize, time to work, um, and just just really, you know, practicing, practicing all of those elements um, in the right way. And I think gone are the days where, I mean, I, I am the ultimate reformed workaholic. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to follow in your footsteps, Kat. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. You know, the first, you know, 25 years of my life, not so, Carl. Um, and of course, learned that the hard way, you know, feeling um, very burnt out, actually, uh, at the end of my corporate career. So really instilling that and becoming all of that, that has been a, a journey in itself. I, I wouldn't say that I'm a great meditator, um, but I view life as a meditation. I think that's the difference. I don't sit and go, I need to do, you know, an hour's meditation practice every day. I tend to have a consciousness around me of staying in that zone of everything I do is about coming to that place with who am I being? What are my intentions here? What qualities do I need? How am I showing up? What's required? And trying to be true to that, you know, staying true to that. And you can't do that when you're working 24-7. It's just not possible. Right. And you can't give to others when you're depleting yourself. I remembered what I wanted to ask you about. If you were finished, I want to interrupt. Yeah, totally. So, so I do. I do want to ask you in a moment. Uh, we can talk about that. Uh, I want to come back to who you know, who who you admire, whom you admire, and why. What inspires you? But I wanted to ask you about before that. I wanted to ask you about kind of some of your favorite interventions or um, things like that. And and I'm going to prompt here. So you, Kathy, you describe yourself as. See how you describe you describe yourself as a uh, color therapist, and you talk about and and I just wanted to I wondered if you wanted to you know give some context or you know contours around that for the audience because to me I'll give a headline and then my experience of working with you on this but that's that's one of the things that makes you unique in terms of the way that you work with clients and I would say my my recollection is you use color in a way to me that it's as a way in to kind of bypass the the skeptical rational mind and get kind of to the heart of the matter but that's just my take on it but i'll turn it over to you because you're the expert on that you're comfortable yeah. talking about that i'd love to hear yeah it. well if you think about it 
you know, imagine a world without colour. Imagine, imagine a world that's just black and white. Life would be really dull, wouldn't it? And colour for me is a fantastic tool because it's, it's in the fabric of our language, our vocabulary, is it not? We, we will say things like, you know, the grass is greener on the other side or black sheep of the family, blue sky thinking, red rag to a bull. So as we start to understand colour in that context, we start to realise there's a psychological component to colour and there's also a physiological component to colour. So when we literally wear different clothes, we eat foods, you know, colourful foods, we design our homes in a certain way, it creates and impacts us, our moods, our behaviours, our emotions. So cool colours will calm the body down, for instance, and warm colours where you tend to see in restaurants and the like, um, tend to heat the body up. So of course, we tend to eat more, spend more time, hang out at these places. And of course, in the marketing world, they've made an absolute fortune in understanding the impact that colour has in our consumer choices. So I was looking for a tool, if you like, at a certain point in my coaching practice that would help people to get out of their busy minds, their overthinking minds, and from that everyday world of logic and reason, because I think we've learned to rationalize everything to bits. And as I say, when we rationalize, we're actually a lot of the time telling ourselves rational lies. And so color was something I discovered and realized it's an amazing way of being able to access that intuitive part of us, that feeling part that knows, that understands, and that actually has all the answers. So yes, I work with this system and it is utilized by many different kinds of people. In fact, you'd be surprised, you know, from business people like yourself through to artists and creative types. Um, I've also worked with families and family dynamics and con done constellation work with, with families, but utilizing color as the primary tool. Why is it so effective? Well, because it's balancing energy. It's helping us restore vitality and bringing coherence and balance back into the body and the mind because we shift the stagnant energy. It helps people unlock their potential um, because they can start to find, if they can understand actually what they've been feeling was a feeling that, or was an unprocessed feeling, should I say, as a result of an experience that had happened many, many years prior. Um, they can start to find meaning and acceptance in it, then it's shifted, it's shifted everything. And of course, then they can, when people start to get back into balance, then they're experiencing more of the positive emotional states that we talked about earlier, which are so necessary in the world, yeah, for building relationship, for um, helping creativity, uh, optimism, enthusiasm, that whole self-belief and empathy with others. So I say it's, it's, it, it is the activating tool that helps you, um, what you say and what you do um, is aligned with who you, who you are, really, um, because it's that process that helps us understand the dissonance of the experience 
in our consciousness and in our physical body between what we truly want to feel and think and yet actually what's showing up in the moment. So it's a bit like when you go back, Carl, and you were talking about the process of change. Yes, you were you you were inviting the change. You were wanting the change. And yet there's still a part that's sort of locked into control that that wants that doesn't want to fear. Ultimately, that's what's behind control, fear, fear of the change, fear of letting go, fear of not knowing, fear of not being enough. And so working with colour helps us just to understand more of our range, more of the potential that we hold it really helps us to remember who we truly are. So it opens us more to that spiritual intelligence where we expand as opposed to contract. And we can embody more of our authentic self from that space and speak more from that intuitive, uh, wise teacher, if you like. Mm. And I think it's it's understanding this, Carl, that and you you um you sort of hinted at it earlier. It's understanding that life actually is a high precision mirror. It's showing you both literally and metaphorically who you actually are. And nothing in life exists separately from you. That really is the biggest secret. Uh, the language of perceived memories, events and things is showing you, revealing you to you because the outer world is a mirror of your inner world. So when we spend a concentrated part of our life navigating and understanding our inner space, as I go back to from where I started, we transform our outer space. And so so colour is a lovely way to explore all of who you are and who you're becoming and how in that process you impact the whole, all of your relationships, your relationship to money, your relationship to your family, your relationship to yourself, your relationship to your work, the quality of your work. Because colour helps us activate that creative resourcefulness that resides in each and every one of us. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I think I mentioned to you, well, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm part, I'm a small part colorblind, which I learned from my U.S. driving test, but even I can see most distinctions of colors. And I've been, so color would not be an area that I would have thought I would have naturally been drawn to. I mean, I like color, but I'm not, I'm not a painter per se. I'm more into the kind of vocal arts and things, but I would say that definitely there have been some, I don't want to say counterintuitive, but I was surprised uh, at what it felt like and kind of what working with color in the way that you do it sort of sort of shifts shifts that has allowed to kind of yeah. happen and enable in individuals and groups. I mean, one other thing maybe you touched on, Kath, is that one of the things I've appreciated about you, me as a coach myself, is that historically you've run group coaching retreats and coaching supervision sessions where you get, you know, I don't know, five, ten coaches in a room and you facilitate us through an experience of with our own us as coaches and, and sometimes you use the different color interventions there. And you, it's, it's, um, it's like nothing else I've experienced in that regard. And I would say, again, just to give people a feel you talked about 
the way that, that it feels walking into. So for me, right now, my flat uh, that I've moved into um, has a lot of white walls. But when I painted in my previous place, I put a, I had a kind of light yellow and a little, I guess, um, terracotta sort of accent wall. And it just completely transformed the feel in the room. And, yes. and so as you described more eloquently, uh, the, 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 the colors do trigger certain responses in us consciously and unconsciously. So it's just, fa it's just fascinating to me. Uh, to, to see how it can help unlock kind of new ways of thinking, feeling, and being in a way that uh, each of us on our own, if we had not used that sort of intervention, we, we would not have experienced per se. So just I, from my perspective, it tips us into a, a new or different sort of awareness, which is very helpful because it's just coming back. I think the, I think the Ogilvy team says, you know, a new perspective is worth 80 IQ points. And from what you yes. said, Kath, you know, spiritual IQ points as well, let's say. So I just, just, wanted to mention that is my experience of having worked experience that with you over over the years and maybe another way of looking at it and, and again it brings this back into the context of our lives in in the business world as well i i say that you know we in any given moment we're occupying space on three levels and and we've talked a little bit about you know where we tend to spend most of our time or can fall into the space or the camp of of overthinking the world of reason, the world of logic, facts, data, um, what we're seeing in our outer world. The, so in other words, we would call that our conscious minds. It's a world of what I call consensus reality, the realm of the five senses, you know, what we can see, what we can hear with feel, touch and taste. And yet all of us know on this call that we've got another part of ourselves that this um, is the sixth sense. And we activate that by going deeper into that second realm, which I call the dreaming level. And the dreaming, dreaming level, if the first level is consensus, reality is the head, the, the, you know, what's in our minds. That second level, it's the heart realm. You know, what, what do we hope for? Um, what are our fears? What are our desires? What are our deepest dreams? And this dreaming level is where we are both the creator and we are created because just as much as we're dreaming our worlds into being, other people are dreaming us up at the same time and making assumptions about us before they've got to know us because we can't possibly process, can we not, everything that's going on in our outer reality Um from the five senses we shortcut we delete and we distort and we generalize that's how we get through life because it's busy so we're dreaming one another up so the dreaming level is very important it's important for all of us to understand it's where it's the realm of our shadow self it's the realm of our beliefs and it's the realm of our ancestral patterning because that's our unconscious mind and that's the gateway to the, the, the sixth sense, the knowing space. So that third level of reality is what I call dreamland. And dreamland is the world of knowing where we're in the flow and we're connected to everything else. And that is the place of inspired action and passion. And that's where we connect with the collective unconscious, as Carl Jung would say, where all answers are available to us, because that's nature's mind, the unified field of consciousness.
There's a lot there. It's very poetic to me. It's very, uh, it's the way that I think now as well. It's very, reminds me of Joseph Campbell, who is one of the kind of yeah. godfathers of kind of modern uh, mythology and comparative religion and anthropology and things like that. It's kind of that this gets us back to the, the idea of the hero's journey and going deep and then coming back with the boon and things like that to, to, to have it to, to really transform or say, shift paradigms and all of that, which, go, which goes pretty deep. And I, I think it's, that's the kind of the journey into that inner space, which you talked about, where some deep insights can come up when we allow them to and we get still and centered. And isn't mm. it the truth that, you know, our imagination is so important. I mean, of course, we need knowledge. And of course, we need experience. But if we're to add imagination, for me, imagination for uh, of all three are, is the the most important thing that's going to create, you know, a world we all want to live in, a better world. And typically, we fall into two camps, don't we? People who work all day and don't dream enough, and those who dream all day and don't work enough. Mm. <laughs> and actually, the truth is that if we all spent an hour dreaming before setting off or you know, about our work, then we've got a better chance of being able to fulfill those dreams, provided, of course, as I say, we, we are working on ourselves at that deep level of understanding around what are we, what are we believing? And are those beliefs supporting our dream? Or are they um, taking us away from our dream? But dreams are powerful. And they have a way of coming true. So it's it's that be careful what you wish for. Yes. I, I have a saying, a mantra that I try to follow. I picked up from somewhere over the years, which is, um, what are you practicing in every moment we are practicing something? Yeah. Whether intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, are we living by default or are we living intentionally? So there's a lot there. We could have a whole other conversation on that, a whole other segment. Kath, I want to just kind of, just as we come into the final stretch here, I want to, um, obviously, is there anything else you want to add on that on this topic? Great, definitely do so. So I wanted to ask you, as you're reflecting of your own kind of um, journey or pilgrimage, whatever we would call it, what what do you know now that you wish you knew 20 years ago? Oh, <laughs> great question. To never ignore my intuition, Carl. To mm. always trust it no matter what to follow it no matter that I don't have that uh if you like evidence um on the outside because actually it's never let me down in the moments that I've I've trusted it and followed it it's never let me down and the more I live each day like this the more joyful life becomes so, yes, that's what I wished I'd practiced and known earlier in my life. Or one might say I was using it unconsciously. What I've, what I've come to understand is I'm using it um, and applying it more consciously um, each day. Mm. And that could changes ask, everything. Could I just ask a follow-on question? I, I have my own version of, of an answer to this, but I'd like to hear yours. Just a follow-on question, which someone asked me recently. So on that that subject so I, I agree i wholeheartedly agree and you know we've talked a lot about this um sometimes our intuition calls us 
into circumstances where we're meant to grow and things like that. So in the end, it's all about joy and love. And sometimes along the way, there's some things we're meant to learn down certain paths, which, which can have their ups and downs. But someone asked me, they said, well, Carl, how can you tell the difference between the inner voice between, say, a fear, if it's your intuition speaking, it's you know, clear and, and pure, that sort of thing, or if it's a fear voice, because some people sometimes confuse the two and end yeah. off down a side road. If I may just slide that question in there. A bit of free coaching while we're on the, on the yeah. call here. Yeah. Okay. So I think confusion arises because many people talk about instinct and intuition being the same thing, and they're absolutely not. Mm. Instinct is more a situation where we're operating from that um, kind of um, ancient part of ourselves that it's more the reptilian brain where let's say we get ourselves down an alleyway um, and it looks like it's dangerous and we need to get the hell out of somewhere. Um so that's more the sort of instinct to teach us to move away from something quickly where we feel threatened and we need to be in survival mode and it activates that part of the brain. That's instinct. Whereas intuition is always feels good. It feels right. It feels opening. It feels expansive. We might experience it um, with a physical sensation of, you know, that the, the hairs standing up on the back of our neck. Um, sometimes, you know, that positive feeling um, inside of us, that, that warming feeling that just runs through us. But intuition is, is always um, a positive state rather than a negative state. And there's the difference. Great. Okay, so we're down to our, our last question i do want to ask you this one i hinted at it earlier so you mentioned that you you liked and I've, i fully agree with this as well in terms of one of the values i try to embody is to read to, to keep yourself inspired so then you can uh, inspire others along the yeah. way so you know who are some of your heroes and or whom do you admire now what what inspires you now you know, I have read um, a prolific amount over uh, my time, sort of from the traditional business leadership books, really through to the more um, entrepreneurial people through to the spiritual. Mm. I think some of the classics for me, Napoleon Hill, you know, Think and Grow Rich, which is, is not is way more than just about you know becoming a millionaire it's 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 that journey and and what's involved in the whole process of actually becoming or realizing your potential and understanding your multi-dimensional self i think that's a fabulous book and it may not be well known to people in 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 mainstream business but in fact it has absolute relevance i think for today's business leaders as it did, you know, from from when it was first published, uh, you know, years and years ago now. Um, I love Seth Godin's work. Have you come across Seth Godin? Yes, yeah. I've yep, I have one of his books and I've seen a bunch of his podcasts. He's a he's the purple cow guy, right? Marketeer. He's the purple cow marketeer. He's written <laughs> Lynchpin and yes. Tribes. And I just love the way he's really inciting all of us to become our own um, 
you know, our own businesses really and to um, market what we do. Um, but he's, again, he's, he's, he's very provocational and he's teaching us to up-level and see the world differently and up-level our thinking. So I, I like what he stands for and I, I would highly recommend him. Mm-hmm. If we're moving more into the realm of what I call the sort of spiritual and spiritual intelligence, then there's no one better than Carolyn Miss because she goes deeply into all of this work. And again, something I've come to understand about how we are part of nature and nature is part of us, you know, the laws of nature inform us. Uh, again, we can look at it from a scientific perspective or we look at it from that mystical spiritual perspective that they're, they're sort of both teaching us the same thing that everything is connected and as we start to connect and understand ourselves more deeply then we can you know get into a rhythm and a flow with the universe so I love her work and then from a creative perspective as someone who loves to create and write I love uh, Juliet Cameron's work, The Artist's Way. Mm. And that's fantastic for anybody who feels creatively blocked and wants to unblock themselves. <laughs> she just encourages you to write morning pages every day. And um, it's, it's really, it's cathartic. It's, it's a practice in itself. And actually what she's encouraging you to do is to really get more conscious about everything that's going on on the inside. Mm. That sounds great. I, I, was, I think I knew the first two and the, and the second two I'll need to look up. So that's great. I'll take that away. You know, I'm a, uh, I'm a, a great book lover. Mm. Thank you for that. So, Kath, is there anything else you'd like to add or any thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with? You know, I just want to reinforce this point. There are no accidents in life. There are no coincidences. And I think the more that we can look at life, uh, everything as being sacred. Everything has got something to teach us. Everyone, every relationship has got something to teach us. Then life becomes a lot more interesting and we wake up to a, a whole new level of reality. Wonderful. And Kath, how can how can we follow and keep in touch with you? Oh, yes. Good point. So obviously, I've got my website, Carl. So that's kath-roberts.com. You can sign up um, on my website and you can receive some free videos from me, some free material. If that's of interest to you, I occasionally post out. I don't tend to do a lot of blogging these days. But I will post from time to time, particularly any new programs that I'm running. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn and you can also find me on Instagram. Those are Great. the main areas. And we'll share those links in the episode notes. Thank you. Kat. Well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And, and uh, for I just want to acknowledge you for, for the huge difference you've made in my life over the years and in the lives of others. I've referred loads of clients to Kath over the years. I need to do more of that now, but I'm a, I'm a big believer uh, and um, I kind of try to walk my talk in that regard. So Kath, thank you so much for um, contributing your insights and your time and, and your, your love, frankly. 
you're a very deep, caring person. So thanks for sharing everything that you've done and for being who you are. And oh, we look it's forward to absolute, keeping in touch. Absolute joy. Thank you, Carl. That's all for this episode. Tune in next time for the latest insights and hidden gems from the world of business. In the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. For any feedback, suggestions, or questions you'd like us to cover, you can email us at krego at lxauk.com and on LinkedIn at karl-rego. Until next time, onwards and upwards. And thank you for listening. Rego's Review, signing off.